We affirm that people who experience sexual attraction for the same sex may live a rich and fruitful life pleasing to God through faith in Jesus Christ as they, like all Christians, walk in purity of life. We deny that sexual attraction for same sex is part of the natural goodness of God's original creation or that it puts a person outside the hope of the gospel. That's Article 8 of the Nashville Statement that came out back in 2017. So that would be what come, or somewhere around six years ago already. Time is super flying by. Uh, we we uh, did the first half of the articles, or 14 of them, last week's show as we continue to work our way through some of the more noteworthy uh, church statements, if you will, over the last generation or so. We did the Chicago statements, the Danvers statement. Now we're doing uh, the Nashville statement and finishing it up probably this week. If not, we'll definitely finish it up on next week's show. I'm Troy Skinner. This is the Faith Debate. Thanks for spending part of your Sunday morning with us. If you want to connect with us online, of course, go to WFMD.com or you can go to my church's website where you can link to the Faith Debate and a whole bunch of other stuff too. That's householdoffaithinchrist.com, householdoffaithinchrist.com. And uh, if you were listening the last couple of weeks as we've been talking about some of these articles, David Forsey was part of the panel. Uh, he's not part of the panel this week, so good, let's talk about him. Um, but still back for more uh, abuse at the hands of me. I'm surprised that people keep coming back after I've used them the way I do. But uh, Stephen Yerger, he's one of the elders with the Shabbat Gathering that meets in the Gettysburg area, area southern uh, Adams County. Uh, Household of Faith in Christ meets uh, in Frederick. So we ended last week's show with Article 7 and had little time to talk about it. And now we started Article 8, started off this week's show, which again, this week is talking about struggling with uh, sinful temptations. Um, uh, That doesn't send someone to hell. So it's at least making that point. But uh, I don't think that you had a chance to opine on Article 7 last week. So if you want to, you can. And if you have something you want to add on Article 8 as well, do that too. Double dip. Well, it's just interesting that since this uh, article was written in 2017 and from 2017 to 2023 uh, it's like almost like the floodgates have opened and it seems uh, really uh, almost a supernatural push of uh, that all of a sudden the issue of homosexuality and the transgender the uh, what you affirm or your pronouns or uh, how many, what is it, personalities or t- different identities? What is it, up to 62 now? It, it, different, the different, um, um, like, gender uh, identities? Cate- categorizations or whatever they call it. Yeah. And if you look at them, it's weird. I don't know what the differences are because some of them, the identities, they're almost exactly the same words. There's just a slight variance. Like, okay, so what? Ex- so we're getting, like, hyper-specific. I don't even know what that's supposed to, supposed to be. Before we're done, there's going to be, like, 2,000 of them, not 62 anymore. It's like... And, you know, one of the new phrases, by the way, on this topic, uh, I heard it recently, uh, neuro neurodiverse, somebody that's got like uh, autism or something said, oh, don't call me autistic, call me neurodiverse. Well, if you think about it, all of us are neurodiverse, right? Everybody's wired a little bit differently. There's great diversity in how God has wired us. We don't all interact with the world exactly the same way. So we've gotten to the point where we're putting these labels on things that are so specific that they're robbed of any meaning whatsoever. If I call you neurodiverse, but we're all neurodiverse, have I said anything that distinguishes you from the rest of the population? You know what I mean? If you say somebody's autistic, oh, not everyone is autistic, so that means something. But if 
everybody is something, it doesn't really mean anything anymore. We, it's so it, it's it's crazy the world we're in. So <clears throat> if we were to boil it down, when Satan came to Eve and said, has God said? And it seems that all these definitions and these terms and all these equations, it's almost to like accuse God and say, have you said? There's no definition because you can't get pinned down on any one thing. When biblically you get pinned down, you're either a male or you're a female. You die and they dig up your bones a hundred years later, they're going to pull out the DNA. What's it going to say? You were male. No matter what you claim, how you say you are or your opinions or your now what you are in, in your identification, you're a biological male or you're a biological female. And credit where it's due, John Piper, who in recent years has really had some horrible takes with regards to politics, some horrible takes with regards to some of the woke moves in the church, some horrible takes uh, on uh, some of the quote-unquote race issues, the ethnicity divide that we see. He's, he's been uh, wobbly at best. He's been really detrimental to the, the cause of biblical truth in some other areas, uh, which is sad because for years and years he was, he was a favorite of mine. I mean, he was, you know, I didn't agree with everything he had to say, but his passion in preaching is like bar none, a very gifted communicator from the pulpit. Um, and he's had a lot of really good takes, and he's been generally biblically conservative uh, until, like, he lost his mind not too many years ago. However, he's been really good of late on this particular question, and he was asked, it was like a pastor's Q&A kind of thing, and uh, he said, look, you know, if you alter your, your, your body, you, you know, if, you're, uh, if you're a woman and you, and you, uh, you, you remove your breasts, or uh, if you're a male and you remove your, your, your uh, nether regions, um, you're, still, you're just, uh, in the first case, you're a woman without breasts. <laughs> in the other case, you're a man without, genitalia, without male genitalia. But at the cellular level, every cell in your body, if you're a man, is still male. No matter what, no matter how many hormones you take, no matter how many surgeries you have, no matter how many counseling sessions you have to come to grips with your what you feel like you are, even if the whole world affirms you as something other than your maleness, your femaleness, your your very DNA is pervasively through and through. If you're a man, male, and if you're a woman, female, there's no getting around that. And John Piper was really. Uh, almost surprising to me at this stage was really good on that answer so uh, credit where it's due uh, what did I just do? 8 I guess? So 9, we're, pick we're picking up with 9 of the Nashville statement we affirm that sin distorts sexual desires by directing them away from the marriage covenant and toward sexual immorality a distortion that includes both heterosexual and homosexual immorality we deny that an enduring pattern of desire for sexual immorality justifies sexually immoral behavior. So basically, sex outside of marriage is always bad, and one's feelings do not excuse sinful behavior. That's kind of in a nutshell what Article 9 is saying. There's nothing profound uh, there. However, just because it's not profound doesn't mean people want to ignore it. We live in a culture... Well, you know what? I'm not even sure this is true, actually. So as a bit of a rabbit trail for just a half a second. Well, it'll be more than half a second, but maybe a half a minute. Um, hookup culture seems like it's dying. There's been, have you been paying attention, uh, Stephen? There's been these stories in the news about young men aren't having sex anymore. And this is a problem. I mean, it's, 
it could be a problem for the, you know, the species of men stop having sex. We're not going to have pregnant women having babies. They shouldn't be having sex out of wedlock. And so that's what the stories are focusing on, how the men aren't, you know, sleeping around anymore. And that's a problem. But it is a problem in this sense. The men don't have a libido like they used to. What's going on with that? I think they've been robbed of their testosterone in a large measure, right? They're playing video games and they don't have purpose in life and they don't have a, they don't feel the dominion dam, uh, mandate. And so they, uh, they don't feel like men. And after a while it has a negative effect and you don't act like men. Um, so I was about to say, you know, we have this hookup culture that, uh, we, we try to make excuses for ourselves when we sleep around. I don't know if that's as, as pervasive as it once. <laughs> Was. That's weird. Anyway, end of rabbit trail. Anything you wanted to say about the rabbit trail before I uh, either move on or you have what you have to say about Article 9? Well, just that there's also, I think, that lower testosterone levels uh, also has to do with probably environment, uh, our food, mm. and also some of the uh, pharma, pharmace pharmaceuticals that are being taken and ingested uh, in large quantities. It seems like our generation is looking for anything to be able to help wake up, help to go to sleep, help to be pain-free, help to be not hurting, uh, blood pressure. I mean, the, the, you know, if there's an ailment, take a pill for it. And so maybe there's a possibility that all these things all strung together uh, might have something to do with that as well. Yeah, all of those things are so true. Those are practical matters that, you know, I don't want to just gloss over those. Eat a healthier diet. Get some exercise. Men today are not as strong as men a couple of generations ago. Not physically as strong. You know, because we're not working the farm anymore kind of thing. We're not exercising those muscles and that sort of thing. You know, there's a, you, sometimes you hear this as a joke. Like, uh, you know, a bunch of 20 and 30-somethings are trying to get something done and, and they can't quite lift it or they can't handle it. They don't have the strength to do it. And then their dad or granddad, who's like you know, 50, 60, 70 years old, comes along and, and is able to do it. And they, and they jokingly refer to that as old man strength. You ever hear that? He's got old man strength. We get weaker as we get older, right? Once we hit our peak, you know, generally speaking, I'm not as strong at when I was 50 as I was at the age of 30. We get, and yet the 50 or 70 year old is stronger than today's 30. Why is that? Because today's 30 year olds are more passive in their activities. You know, even, even if you weren't working on the phone, uh, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I was playing pickup basketball games all the time, uh, touch or sometimes push and tackle football games with the guys. I was active. I was out. I was, so I was healthier. I was stronger. I, you know, it's not just muscle size or muscle strength. It's like your neural net, you know, is stronger, you know, because you, your coordination is better. You, you, you make more efficient use of your, of your body. Your whole body works together better uh, when it's exercised properly. And so there's the residual effects of that for the older generation that might still be there. The younger generation may be in large measure hasn't had that anymore. There are exceptions to the rule. Trust me, I know there are men who are 30 years old that are incredibly strong. I get it. I'm just talking in broad brushstrokes gener generationally. Anyway, too many rabbit trails today. Let's get back on task. April, uh, April. Hello. And, and, and we're, not, we're not even in April. It's May. <laughs> Article is what I meant. Article 10. We affirm that it is sinful to approve of homosexual immorality or transgenderism and that such approval constitutes an essential departure from Christian faithfulness and witness. We deny that the approval of homosexual immorality or transgenderism is a matter of moral indifference about which otherwise faithful Christians 
should agree to disagree. So there's right and wrong. Pick the right side. Pick one and make sure it's the right side. It's a more black and white issue than our culture wants to make us think. And it seems to be one of the bigger problems in the bigger denominations like uh, Methodists. That church is completely divided down the middle, and you've got the conservative side that says, you know, we want to stay to our our historical, uh, biblical uh, traditions. And then we have the other side that is taking an emotional poll from what we feel, our emotions, that this is fair. And they basically remove God out of the equation, and they become as God because they rewrite his uh, scriptures and uh, make him, instead of a he, they make him a she. And so not only do they affirm with one another, they expect Christianity... uh, conservative historical Christianity to do the same and affirm. And isn't it interesting that with such uh, confusion that they're looking for affirmation constantly so that they feel comfortable emotionally. And that's a problem. And probably in my generation growing up in the, in the sixties and seventies, it was the homosexuality and stuff was in the closet because if you came out there was even in our culture it was it was something that they felt like they had to be in the closet but now they're wanting to push us into the closet because we're not affirming and too many are willing to stay in the closet too many conservative christians they they don't want to ruffle feathers they want to put themselves out there and they and they closet themselves and we wonder why we have the problems we have yeah yeah it's interesting you talked about you know the methodist church being you know split down the middle and it's interesting to me that there are exceptions to all of these rules. You know, yes. always, however, you could geographically draw that split down the middle. It's the Atlantic Ocean because the most conservative part of the Methodist church is in Africa and the most liberal part of the Methodist church is in the United States. It's, it's interesting how there's, That's an interesting there's a continental divide there. So you talk to a, um, uh, you know, a, a Maryland Methodist and mentioned how, you know, men can be women, women can be men, and they might at some level be willing to agree with you. You say that same thing to a Methodist in Africa, and they're going to look at you funny like, what, what you talking about, Willis? You know, like, what's going on? That's not true. Um, all right. Article 11. We affirm our duty to speak the truth in love at all times, including when we speak to our, uh, to or speak to or about one another as male or female. We deny any obligation to speak in such ways that dishonor God's design of his image bearers as male and female. So basically, I think this is saying using preferred pronouns is unloving. That's kind of what that's getting to, right? Yeah. And that's countercultural too right now. Like, why can't you just love them, accept them for who they are? You know, it, it, it's what was popular 20 years ago. You don't hear the phrase quite as much. You still hear it, but it was really popular 20 years ago. What's true for you is what's true for you. What's true for me is what's true for me. Like, you have your truth. I have my truth. You know, who's to say? The problem is God says, and God is the truth, right? Jesus comes and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is the truth. So it doesn't matter what I think the truth is. There is the truth. That's debated by a lot of people, too, that there's an idea of an absolute truth. Um but as Christians, at the very least, we should be saying there is absolute truth. And if somebody's a male who wants to be identified as like he, she, 
or they, them pronouns, that's denying the truth. And if you participate in a lie with somebody, that's, you know, from a biblical, biblical perspective, that's not loving. Interesting. Um, I heard a, uh, Ben Shapiro was doing a uh, stand-up, uh, made a statement about this very issue. And a student got up in the, uh, took the mic and said about affen- affirming the um, different uh, pronouns and ide- ideology and what you are. And he just said, by the way, how old are you? And uh, the student said, well, you know, what does it matter my age? And he says, well, I'm going to say you're 60. You're 60. She goes, I'm not 60. He goes, yes, you are. I'm going to affirm that you're 60. And all of a sudden you heard this ooh in the audience because all of a sudden this young lady was caught in a moment to say there was an untruth being stated. And she said, this is not a reality in my life. I'm not 60 years old. I'm only 30 years old or 20 years old, excuse me. And that she was caught in this dilemma, but she didn't see it because of the blindness of running in and trying to affirm because this is what's being demanded of people, uh, expected of people, that all of a sudden it kind of clarified the situation and the the argument was actually stated. And so Ben made it pretty clear that, you know, truth is truth and affirming non-truth is not truth. And it just exposes what, you know, if you pay any attention at all to logical arguments, uh, if you assume at some level, there is logic even. Uh, People can't consistently live out a postmodern worldview. They try, but nobody consistently lives that out. I mean, if you're going to cross the street and there's a big semi-tractor trailer doing 90 miles an hour, and you're going to say, well, I choose to believe, I choose to affirm that I'm impervious to semi-tractor trailer trucks doing 80 miles an hour or 90 miles an hour. I'm going to step out in front of it and I'm going to be fun. Nobody lives that way. Everybody understands there's an absolute truth. If I step out in front of that truck, I'm going to get squashed like a bug. Nobody can consistently live it out. And yet, as a society, we're trying. We're trying our darndest to live this insane, nutty world. <laughs> well, unfortunately, people that might be high on LSD no, that's might true. be able to do that very thing once. But isn't it interesting that that crowd is trying to uh, pressure uh, believers into the LSD mind altered consciousness of affirming something? But it's it's not. We're not taking LSD, but they're wanting us to actually affirm that something is just not that reality. And not to get too far afield, but we live in the age... We talked about this, I think, on a recent show, too, so I won't go t- say too much about it other than to once again say we live in, this, in, the, in the age of the fake. You know, everything's artificial flavoring, artificial coloring, everything's super processed and enriched and whatever. And, you know, all of our food... You know, my, my wife, <laughs> one of her favorite phrases when somebody's eating a bunch of junk, she'll say, there's no food in your food. <laughs> everything's fake. <laughs> so... Um, but don't get me started. Article 12, we affirm that the, this is the, um, the, the Nashville statement, Article 12, we affirm that the grace of God in Christ gives both merciful pardon and transforming power, and that this pardon and power enable a follower of Jesus to put to death sinful desires and to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We deny that the grace of God in Christ is insufficient 
to forgive all sexual sins and to give power for holiness to every believer who feels drawn into sexual sin. So repentance and freedom from sin is possible by the power of God. Mm-hmm. This is controversial because people are saying that you shouldn't try to help somebody out of certain kinds of sinful behaviors or sinful uh, understandings of their, their self-identity. Um, in fact, I think it's now illegal in California, uh, in uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. I think I think so. I think it's illegal. They call it conversion therapy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But as a pastor, if you try to counsel somebody and say, no, I know you think you're this, but you're not. Let me help you see the biblical truth of it. You could go to jail in Canada for that. Mm-hmm. It could never happen here until it happens here. <laughs> you have anything you want to add on Article 12? I just think that there is a... Uh pressure that's coming upon biblical thinking and uh, it's going to become more and more uh, an issue for you to stay to the faith and uh, be able to say what the truth is in this context of this conversation. If you're not already in the game, um, you're not developing your skills and by the time you try to exercise you're going to reach into your bag of tricks and it'll be empty. You got to enter the game now because the, the heat's already being turned up pretty fast. Um, if you're not keeping pace, when the heat gets to the point where it's completely intolerable and you've got to be able to meet the moment, you can't just turn on a light switch. You've got to, you've got to exercise your faith. You've got to, you know, you got to work it out with fear and trembling. You know, you, you, you've got to put yourself in situations where you can be iron sharpening iron so that when you're challenged in a moment, you're, you're more equipped. Now, it doesn't say that God can't help you overcome your weaknesses in spite of yourself, but you can trust God in these things, but don't test God in these things. Get in the game now. Article 13. I don't think we're going to finish all 14. I doubt we're going to get two done in the remaining time, but I think we might be able to finish Article 13 at least. We affirm that the grace of God in Christ enables sinners to forsake transgender self-conceptions and by divine forbearance to accept the God-ordained link between one's biological sex and one's self-conception as male or female. We deny that the grace of God in Christ sanctions self-conceptions that are at odds with God's revealed will. So basically identifying as homosexual, identifying as trans, whatever, is sinful. A little bit redundant with what we've said. Do you have anything you wanted to add? It's just missing the mark. I mean, you're you're basically saying that you're telling God and and man that you're not what God made you. You're claiming something different, and um, you know that's that's something that you know if that's not corrected or you're not being honest with yourself and you're not being honest with all those that affirm you. So you're basically living a lie. And it's hilarious because people will claim this generation claims that they want to have authentic experience, and there's nothing authentic about living a lie. It's you know they're at odds with their own self commitments. Well, maybe we have time to do Article 14. Let's see. We affirm that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners, and that through Christ's death and resurrection, forgiveness of sins and eternal life are available to every person who repents of sin and trusts in Christ alone as Savior, Lord, and supreme treasure. We deny that the Lord's arm is too short to save or that any sinner is beyond his reach. So Jesus came to heal the sick, restore the reprobate. No one is too far gone for God to rescue. I want to say hallelujah, amen. What he said to that, <laughs> right, Lord Jesus, and so I think the, one of the important parts of that, though, is 
don't hear condemnation in what's been said on today's episode and last week's episode. There's hope, right? As pastors, as, as elders in, the, in, in Christ's church, we want people to experience forgiveness, to, to experience the, the, the fruit and blessing that comes from repentance, that you, can, you don't have to live the life. Now, you might think, oh, I'm totally fine living the life. Well, you're not as fine as you think you are is what the Bible would say, and we're suggesting that you check that out. And, and it's not out of a place of hatred or bigotry or anything like that. It's about concern uh, to have care for those who aren't in alignment with what God has revealed the truth to be. And if we're right, um, even if we're not right, if we are completely persuaded that we're right, we are not demonstrating a loving attitude towards you to, to say something other. We are completely persuaded that God's word is right, and out of love, we're sharing that understanding with the world. Whether they like it or not, you know, it hurts me more than it hurts you. <laughs> How many times do you hear that as a kid? It's going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Anyway, Stephen Yerger, thank you so much. I'm Troy Skinner. We're uh, totally wrapping up out of time here. This is the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. Check us out online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Till next week, God bless.